That Triathlon Show 386. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Professor Bent Rennestad. Bent has been very influential in the sports science world, publishing lots of research in multiple areas, including concurrent training, high-intensity interval training, periodization, and heat training. And uh, we will cover two of them in detail, interval training and heat training, and uh, also go into a little bit of concurrent training at the end of this interview. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools, education, and a patented sweat test. You can use the free Fuel and Hydration Planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can book a free 20-minute video call station to chat through your plan with the athlete support team. You can get 15% off your first order by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Form. The Form Smart Swim Goggles give you real-time feedback in your swim training through a display on the goggle lens that shows you every split, a live stroke rate, live heart rate, your average pace for the interval, and all of the things that you need to be able to execute your swim workouts more optimally with better pacing and better control of your intensity. You also get access to in-depth post-swim analysis with additional metrics in the form app. And this app syncs your workout seamlessly to platforms like Training Peaks, Strava Today's Plan and Final Surge. The app also has a vast library of workouts and training plans that you can sync with your goggles and be guided through them in your swimming, or you can build your own guided workouts. Get 15% off the goggles with the code TTS15 on formswim.com forward slash TTS. Now without any further ado, here's my interview with Professor Bent Rennestad. Welcome to that triathlon show, Bent. How are you doing? Uh, thanks. I'm fine. Uh, thanks for having me here. It's a great pleasure. Uh, can you start by uh, just introducing yourself to the audience? Tell us more about who you are. Yeah, well, I'm a professor in exercise physiology at the section for health and exercise physiology uh, at the Inland Norway University. Um, yeah, and I'm uh, also a consultant for the uh, a part-time consultant for the Norwegian Olympic Federation, providing physiological research and supervision for the Norwegian elite coaches and athletes in endurance sports. Um, yeah, and my my research focus uh, is primarily on the on the singular and combined effects of strength and endurance training in elite sport. Uh, yeah, that's. It's it's really sure. interest. It's really interesting to hear you say that uh, the that that's your primary research focus about concurrent training, strength and endurance training, because you've done so much. So I wasn't sure what you considered your uh, your primary focus, and uh, I think that the first research from you that I read was uh, the concurrent training research. But then there are a lot of interval training studies and heat training and uh, and even periodization block periodization and things that you have done so um yeah is, is what, what would you say right now what what are your is it still the concurrent training that that you have in the works the most or do you do you keep your many irons in the fire so to say yeah yeah that there are many many different uh, uh, topics that i'm very interested in and, and actually i started with with 
actually pure strength training uh, in the in the in the early beginning of, of 2000. <laughs> uh, so, um, but at, at the moment, I think both isolated endurance training and what we can call isolated strength training and the combination of them uh, and, and and how to best integrate those uh, uh, those uh, those topics so so um, I'm I'm actually a bit confused myself if I need to to, to point out something because I'm I'm interested in, in a lot of stuff yeah yeah well um, the questions that we have prepared for today are actually not on that topic because they are uh, related to interval training and heat training just because those were the two topics that at this moment I found the most interesting and intriguing for myself and for maybe for the listeners that they will be the judge of that i guess but let's start with interval training um you have done a lot of interval optimization studies to look at what intervals might be more or less effective for optimizing markers of performance and performance itself and one thing to start with when when do in lots of studies not just your studies when people compare intervals they often look at time near vo2 max as a marker of how effective an interval workout is so often that is measured as how much time do you spend at 90 percent of vo2 max or higher Uh, can you discuss this how much do we know about whether this is a really valid marker for the effectiveness of a workout yeah (laughs) that's a that's a very important question because uh there is a lot of, of, of researchers and people, including myself, that focus, as you said, on, on time with high VO2 um, acutely during an interval session. And uh, from my point of view, um, it, it, it started with, with a review paper f- uh, from 1986, so, so a long time ago, with uh, Wenger and Bell, who discovered that the largest improvement in VO2 max was in the area of 90 to 100 percent of vo2 max uh, as a training intensity and 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 from there on and there have been a lot of reviews uh, on this topic uh, where this intensity has been um, theorized to be a very good intensity to train at uh, in order to get adaptations but uh, very few people um, have actually investigated the training effects of, of accumulating uh, a long high time uh, around the VO2 max, so so because it's uh, it's very demanding to actually do that study, uh, but it's very easy to do the acute ones uh, and then just uh, extrapolate. It, it's almost like all these um, uh, acute signaling studies. And then you on uh, on different molecular patterns uh, or signal ways, and then then. Uh, you kind of extrapolate and, and think that these acute uh, observations equals the long-term adaptations, uh, which I think is not so easy uh, to do. Yeah. yeah. So, so if I ask you in an applied sense, let's say you're consulting with some coaches or athletes and, and you've seen some other research group somewhere in the world, they've done a, a new interval study investigating the acute responses to a new type of session and they find that this session has a very high time near vo2 max at 90 percent or above um how how confident would you be in saying that you should try this interval session or would you want to wait and see actual performance and adaptation studies based on based on that session before really recommending it in an applied sense 
Yeah, well, I, I think it depends. The first, the first I, I would do is actually to look at the protocol uh, and, and see if the, if if that uh, is reasonable uh, and uh, and what's the idea behind uh, uh, accumulating a, a long time with high VO2. Uh, so, uh, in order to maybe okay, if this is a new approach that I haven't been thinking of, and 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 this could be the mechanisms why this specific interval session gives a, a very good uh, acute stimuli um, so so if 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 there's it seems to be some good uh, rationale uh, behind it uh, and it also triggers uh, some uh, specifics that i want to achieve during that session um, then i would be curious to to test it out um, but but like f for instance if you if you have very short duration uh, work periods like 30 to 60 seconds and then you have a long uh, recovery period and then you do this like some 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 uh, some few repetitions and the main aim of my session to my athlete is to 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 have to accumulate a long time with high vo2 then i wouldn't go for that uh, session even though uh, the, the data maybe supports it. But on the other hand, if the main aim of that interval session is to, to have a high power output and to stimulate that, that part um, of the performance uh, uh, specter, then it could maybe make more sense in my head. And then I, I would maybe give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, most people don't have a metabolic cart at home, so they can't really know how much time they spend near VO2 max. But uh, one question on that is, um, how well does or does not heart rate correlate with time at VO2 max? So if you spend a lot of time at a very high heart rate versus a slightly lower heart rate for two different interval sessions, can you conclude anything from that or is it tricky? Uh, it's a bit tricky, uh, and we have we have studies ourselves that indicates that uh, the the heart rate could be the same uh, in two different interval sessions, but uh, the mean VO two is is quite uh, different. <clears throat> but of course, it is an indicator, so so it's better than nothing. Mm. Um, so 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 in some cases, it it can be used, but uh, it's not the same as a direct measuring VO2. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good uh, good piece of information to uh, to be aware of. Um, you have, as we talked about, this, uh, researched a lot of different types of intervals. So, and uh, this is actually something I, I watched quite recently, uh, a talk that you did for the Japan High Performance Sports Symposium. I can't remember the exact name of, of it, but you went through a lot of the research that you have uh, done and and four types of intervals that you can broadly categorize are short intervals, <laughs> traditional long intervals, fast start long intervals, and variable long intervals. So, can you maybe first just define and give examples of these types of intervals? Yeah. So um, we have the traditional long intervals, which might be the, the easiest and, and the most common used um, among people so so and and yeah in my head that's uh, a kind of a steady state uh, more or less work periods lasting like four to six minutes um 
and um, and then you you repeat them yeah from like uh, yeah, four to eight times or something like that uh, uh, and then the three other types that we have looked into um, they all include uh, some kind of variation in the exercise intensity during uh, either um, the 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 work interval itself or in the um, the work interval theory. Um, so, for instance, and and in all those three uh, alternatives, um, the high intensity could be uh, at least a starting point. It could be the the intensity that you have if you are working maximal for like five minutes, uh, approximately. Uh, you have to find uh, to 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 tune it uh, according to the individual athlete. But so the 13, 15 uh, that we have done a lot on the short intervals. So there we have a series of, of work period of thirty seconds, uh, approximately at this intensity that I, I mentioned, and then fifteen seconds recovery with yeah, around half of that exercise intensity. So, um, uh, and then you continue for this, like um, at least maybe seven, eight minutes, and then you have a, a, a break and you repeat it. Um, and then the, the fast starts long intervals is approximately the same intensity in the big uh, high intensity in the beginning but then you 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 reduce the intensity after like one and a half or two minutes and then you have the last like uh, three and a half to three minutes at an intensity slightly above threshold um and what is threshold uh, we could use <laughs> many hours on that but but um Let's say uh, let's uh, keep it to to this um, FTP uh, or, or the, the maximal um, intensity that you can sustain for one hour approximately. Uh, so so then you have like one and a half to two minutes with uh, with a uh, with a five minute uh, intensity, and and then you reduce it for for the rest of that work period. And then the variable alternative is you actually you can actually think that instead of starting with two minute high intensity, then you divide those two minutes into three different parts, lasting 40 seconds, and divide it uh, throughout that five minute work interval. So uh, we also often call it uh, the 40-60. The so 40 seconds at a higher intensity, and then 60 seconds uh, a bit above around threshold. And then we go up again for 40 seconds and down. Yeah, And if you do the that three three times that will be a five minute work interval. Yeah, and and then so just to clarify one thing for the listeners is that when with those different variations of long intervals, you can at least in the research setting, what you do is basically make sure that the five minute periods are the same average power, but it's just how it's distributed so that the you have the fast start with two minutes harder at the beginning, or you have the two minutes spread out in three different peaks. Or you have the entire five-minute segment, but that is a little bit higher because it doesn't go down as much as when you have the fast start or the variable. So, but the average power would be the same, and the duration would be the same. So it's just how you how you distribute your power that that varies. And then the thirty fifteen, that's the short interval. So that's of course a bit of a different uh, type. But in in your research, what you've done is for three sets of thirteen repetitions. So it ends up being basically 
three times nine and a half minutes or nine minutes 45 seconds with i think you've used three minute recoveries between the between the sets and uh, and there the intensity is very high in the 30 30 second and then but still not going crazy low in the 15 second as you say it ends up being still a kind of endurance power zone zone two if you if you just go if you go down to 50 percent of your interval power for example some a, a strong athlete might do 400 watts for the 30 seconds and 200 watts for the 15 seconds um and uh, yeah so how what what tips can you give for how to execute these different types of intervals so and this might be in some cases maybe it's similar to what you've done in the research but in some cases it might be different for example just following rpe based instructions what what do you think is the best for athletes that want to try these intervals yeah yeah um i I think i think using uh, like uh, rpe scale uh, is sufficient and could give a very good um, uh, session um, uh, and, and of course um, heart rate uh, is easy to, to access so, so, so a combination of, of, of RPE and, and heart rate uh, could be good ways of, of ensuring a, a good session um, and, and from my point of view I would recommend that First of all, you need a good warm-up, uh, but let's say that, that that is in place, and after a good warm-up, then I think you could be on the on the six to twenty uh, RPE scale. Uh, you you could be like on on the sixteen on the first uh, interval, uh, and then you can also be on sixteen on the second, and then may, maybe start to to touch up on the seventeen. Um, but I don't think you need to go higher than the 17 actually to have a, a really good session. Uh, so it's not like all out. Uh, and and then I think you should uh, modify the the work uh, the workload or the work intensity based on your feelings, uh, both uh, yeah acutely to to try to to achieve that feeling of a like a. Yeah, and, and the description on, on the 17 is, is very hard, but it's not like extremely hard. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at your uh, one of your papers uh, with the long intervals and the short intervals to see. So, um, so you had a, uh, the, you did various tests, of course, at the beginning of the study, but in terms of 20 minute power, I'm trying to find it here. Um, for example, the, the short interval group. Well, both of the interval groups did around 345 watts average for 20 minutes. And then when when we look at what they actually, the power they held for the intervals, so the, the four by five minute group did averaged 368 watts. So uh, about 20 to 25 watts higher than their 20 minute power uh, for the five minute intervals, four by five with two and a half minutes rest. And then the short intervals, the 3015s, they... Uh, averaged 441 watts for for the intervals so obviously you can go harder there but those, those are the high high intervals so that's just to give to give a bit of an idea to to listeners but they can find the statistics in the paper as well because i'll i'll link to that in the show notes um yeah, yeah. just a, just a brief comment to that because in 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 the experimental settings just to make the condition similar we we instruct the 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 cyclist to go 
all to to give everything so so they should they should aim at as high mean power during each session as possible and and i, I don't think that's necessary to 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 get a good training stimulus so so for the sustainability and the long term training it's maybe not necessary to dig so deep <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's actually so so follow up on that because you've done some studies at least case studies with where you've done block periodization of uh, of intervals where you do for example five interval sessions a week and in those uh i'm guessing that that that's the the instruction that you've given in the, when you do five interval sessions per week is what you said now to the listeners that don't go absolutely all out leave a little bit left in the in the tank is that correct yeah well i uh, I, I at the top of my head there's some years since we did that the, at least in the first studies, I think we actually instructed them to go to 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 give everything. Mm. Um, but in practical, when I'm talking to athletes and coaches, uh, I'm actually not recommending that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, and uh, let me see here. So okay. So so when we then look at the research around these different types of intervals, if we start with the acute responses and especially the time near vo2 max how do they compare yeah uh, so in general and uh, those intervals with with um, with some variation in the in the exercise intensity seems to 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 give uh, uh, a slightly longer time uh, with high vo2 um so um yeah so that's the general uh point uh, i guess uh, and uh, and and we have done most comparison comparisons between uh the the short intervals and the traditional long intervals and and um and uh, and also for the training adaptations that's what we have actually investigated um so uh, and and also in some acute intervals it seems like maybe the short intervals could be uh, slightly uh, better than than this uh, uh, fast start and and with the variable intensities um, uh, but, uh, but but not a big uh, not a very big uh, difference so 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 i think it, uh, uh, it it's probably smart to have a variation around mm. that topic yeah yeah and and what about the adaptations and performance improvements when you study that what do you find yeah so so it's um, when we compare the short intervals with uh, the traditional long intervals it seems to be um, uh, larger uh, adaptations using the short intervals uh, in general on, on most uh, measurements uh, and it must be emphasized that the two other um, approaches uh, we have not uh, done any uh, any training interventions so we haven't investigated those except for one short one week block actually only in cross-country skiers um, where, where the block group uh, used this 40-60 uh, approach uh, but that was not compared to to um, to uh, another hit block, but just like a traditional training method. So, uh, so, uh, so, so we we can't really tell upon the training adaptations for the the variable uh, and the fast start. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. So it, so the ad, tra- in terms of train adaptations, it's the comparisons you've done are the the short intervals versus traditional long intervals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then when, when we're talking about here adaptations and performance performance improvements, and I guess performance marker improvements, we're talking about things like VO two max improvements, um, twenty minute test improvements, uh, watt peak, so the um, a ramp te- basically ramp test performance and and uh, power at four millimoles those sorts of things uh and um yeah from you've done that in in several studies in several different demographics as well so one of the more recent ones was in very well trained cyclists in that had vo2 maxes in the mid 70s i think 73 74 75 and you've also done it in well-trained cyclists they were more in the 60s i think um yeah, yeah. Is, is this something that um, have I'm not aware, but have other research groups also been starting to study or these these 3015s? Because I think it's such an in- interesting interval type, and you've had so great results with them that it would make sense for others to to also start to study them. Yeah, um, at the top of my head, I'm not aware of any long term interventions exactly using exactly that protocol but uh, but at least on the acute stuff there there are some some kind of similar uh, uh, approaches mm-hmm. uh, and i mean the short intervals uh, there are uh, yeah that the uh, of course many many are familiar with the kind of tabatas uh, approach even though that's that's a bit different uh, uh, at least if you look at the original uh, protocols uh so yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm just going to just to quantify a little bit so in that more, most recent study where you had the uh, elite cyclists with vo2 max of 73 on average the the differences that you found here i'm reading from the abstract where um in terms of ramp test performance so uh what peak uh three point seven percent improvement for short intervals and uh minus 0.3 for uh long intervals in terms of power at four millimoles two percent improvement for short intervals minus 2.8 for long intervals and in terms of a 20 minute power 4.7 percent improvement for short intervals minus 1.4 percent for long intervals um so just to to give an eye an idea of um of the i guess the the quant uh, the quantified the quantified uh, effects and and I think in terms of overall effect size for performance you you found a sh- small to moderate effect size there yeah. so, but um, yeah so going back to in terms of actually using these intervals you already said that you recommend using a variety so can you um, yeah talk more about that how yeah how how do you think it makes sense to add all of these in and and why. Yeah, um, of course it depends on, on, on what you want to emphasize. And, and I mean, like uh, a, a typical argument for, for kind of not using short intervals uh, is that, okay, my, when I'm going to, to compete, I will perform continuously for like, uh, say, 40 minutes. So, so uh, short intervals is not a good idea uh, or not a good training form because I, I will not have recovery recoveries every 30 seconds so and uh, and of course uh, in terms of the specific uh, muscle uh, how the muscle works 
that's correct. But then when we see if you improve um, your 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 power at four millimole and you increase your VO2 max, uh, then in theory, uh, at least you should uh, uh, you have made the setting for 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 a for a better improvement and performance for the 40 minute test and and that was actually what we saw as well so 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 you are able to improve uh, kind of long term high intensity work by uh, short intervals um that being said uh, i would also uh, recommend to to train on um, continuously working uh, uh, since that's your specific competition uh, setting so um, but say um uh, if you if you want to to emphasize uh, let's say for instance a, a mountain bike race where you have a or order situation where you have a fast start uh, in the race and that's actually important for your performance uh, to get a good position and stuff like that then these fast start approaches actually could be good in order to to have many repetitions on and training on that specific ability uh, and and then on the other hand uh, if you if you want to make it your strength to be able to accelerate uh, and uh, then this uh, this uh, multiple peaks uh, with, with variable exercise intensity could be a good choice um, and, but then on the other hand like uh, like uh, in a in a tempo uh, time trial situation then then maybe just Keeping a steady pace for for a longer period could also be a good argument to 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 use those uh, those intervals, the th more traditional ones. So so I think, and also I th I think that the if you have done something for a long time, then the body naturally will respond better to a change. Uh, almost matter, no matter what kind of changes, do some changes, uh, and, and at least when there is not a big difference between all these workouts then then you have some good alternatives yeah no that, that is, those are all great points and uh, you have looked into well, we, we mentioned a little bit the block periodization and uh, that's something that you've done some uh, some research in as well uh, how to structure when to do your intervals or like let's put it this way how whether it makes sense to do a lot of them and then a few of them in maintenance mode that sort of thing can you describe a little bit more these kind of periodization studies that you've done yeah so 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 what we have done we, we wanted to to see if um, if the di distribution of the interval sessions um, made a difference so say for a four week period the traditional approach could maybe be like two interval sessions per week for four weeks um and then we had uh, this block approach where we the first week had uh, five interval sessions and then we had one session every week for the three last weeks so after four weeks uh, both groups had the same amount of interval sessions it was only the organization uh, of them that differed um, and by using this approach in yeah what we can call well-trained cyclists um, uh, and also in cross-country skiers, it, it seems like you get maybe a, a slightly better adaptation uh, by using this blocker approach, despite doing the exact same number of intervals from between pre and post testing. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, I w have, have you have you worked with triathletes, consulted with triathletes or triathlon coaches? Because that's one thing that 
that I think is always tricky for triathletes when you try to fit in three different sports. I can definitely see a cyclist doing five interval sessions per week, but for triathlete, well, either you could do it in the different modalities, of course, but it, but since you're also training, your volume is so high and you do three different sports, I, I find that the, the thought of that seems quite quite extreme what what are your thoughts for how basically just a general thought on how to incorporate intervals as a triathlete versus a single sport athlete yeah yeah it, it's definitely more challenging as you said for sure um from the top of my head uh maybe, maybe one way of doing it but i'm not sure it, if it's correct to do it but if you want to do it then you could you could uh, you could yeah, like you say, emphasize one one movement pattern, um, one of the three sports, and then uh, you, you can have that. Uh, you could either focus on um, on um, like five intervals in in that, uh, like say um, cycling, and then you kind of have a maintenance stuff in in swimming and and, and running, um, or yeah so 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 uh, so that could be w- one way of doing it but then you the consequence of having a block like this is that you you probably need to to lower the total training volume during that period uh, so so you other, otherwise i think you will get in trouble yeah uh, yeah so um, so you must be aware of that you need to to give priority to the high intensity in that pr- period if you're going to do it but uh, um, and, and another approach could be to, to mix the three uh, sports in that hit block but um, uh, yeah I'm not I'm not sure uh, and also if you are doing uh, if you are doing like a like a three days uh, cyclos with with uh, and then a, a recovery day on the fourth um, Yeah, yeah, I'm not not quite sure how to do it unless I understand it. Uh, there is also maybe, yeah, maybe maybe you need to to go a, a bit down on the intensity uh, for the interval because you are doing so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tricky. I I don't have the answer either. But <laughs> and of course, it's it's very that's it's it's. Yeah, there's, uh, that's why there are few studies in triathletes because it's so different, difficult to control for these things. It's a lot easier when you just have cycling, especially. It's very easy to control for a lot of things. So, so it makes sense. But then, as triathletes or triathlon coaches, we have to figure out how to how to apply it in the real world. And uh, yeah, that's <laughs> it becomes a lot of uh, trial and error, basically. Um, but on in terms of periodization, when do you think it makes sense in terms of the season to to focus more on these intervals? And especially if you are, let's say, a road cyclist or a marathon runner or a triathlete where the races are quite long, so not a cross-country skier focusing on 10K or a skiathlon or sprint, but uh, yeah, some long, longer events, basically, two hours and, and above. Yeah. Um I think it depends because you you could you could argue that you could have a, like a hit block actually early in the preparation period in terms of if you want to emphasize this ability and, and get a lift on that. Uh, but then you, uh, I'm, I'm 
completely aware of that pe- some people think that uh, it's dangerous to do high intensity so uh, early in the preparation period because then you get in shape and shape can be dangerous uh, i don't know why but some people say so uh, but um, so 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 it depends you 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 could take it early in the preparation period in order to to get a lift in your performance and then you go over to a more traditional approach with with, with a high volume um, and then you also make uh, room for another block later in the preparatory period um, so so yeah in my head a, a block could be useful in those circumstances where you have been follow uh, a kind of another uh, periodization approach for a long time and you experience a plateau in your development and then maybe uh, a block could be uh, then uh, something that uh, make you take the the next step um, so, uh, and but but i would not perform block all year long because i think i think you should have a mix of different approaches uh, and as i mentioned earlier uh, a systematic variation uh, not only in the in the intervals that you are doing but also in in the periodization approach uh, is probably yeah i think it's smart yeah mm. yeah and uh if for let's say for for extreme extremely long events like an ironman for example i i would say that the the trend is that um, a lot of ironman athletes are doing a lot of ironman specific training especially in the last two months uh give or take before a key race and you don't tend to see that much that many athletes doing high intensity intervals in that specific period is that something that you would agree with or do you think that there is a benefit not i'm not even talking about a block but even just adding one interval or two interval sessions per week uh, even one one might be like more than more than most people are doing what what do you think about that specificity versus the benefits of intervals in also in the final preparation period yeah i think it would be exciting to to test it out um uh, to have some intensity um at least if you are if you are of course it's cost benefit and uh, but but if you are thinking about um, the signaling and the effect of the high intensity it it's kind of likely that it would also affect the threshold uh, work and and your your cap- capacity at threshold and uh, so so i have some experience with with pretty well athlete uh, performing uh, both high intensity work and and actually also blocks of high intensity before um, stage races um, uh, it's not like an uh, extreme uh, triathlon competition but but at least there is like from four to six hours uh, stages every day for for many days in a row and it it, it seems like uh, there could be some advantages but but of course we are all different so so um, so so as always do not test it out just before the most important race of your year um, mm. yep. if you are curious on it yeah yep. makes sense uh, is there anything else that we should talk about regarding interval training? Mm. No, uh, uh, but but just as we we mentioned now, with the, the individual individuality and the differences in response, and, and be aware of of that. So 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 don't uh, 
don't copy what other people do uh, blindly at least but but uh, it's uh, i want to uh, to encourage testing out but but do some measurements or something so you can actually evaluate the effect on yourself uh, or 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 the people the people you are tra- uh, coaching so um, so 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 there are individual differences and uh, there are a lot of different intervals and training methods that work so so it's not like one type of training is the correct yeah be curious yeah yeah that's a great great point to end the intro section on and move on to heat training and this is a topic that i was really excited to chat about because uh, i think what you've done is do, done some really interesting research that is actually applicable to the everyday athlete more so than most previous research because you have uh, well not moved away from the heat chamber but found an alternative method that can be used without a heat chamber uh, basically using a heat suit that um, that is yeah people can put together themselves quite easily and, and not uh, not very expensively um, but before we get into the specific protocols that you've used and and all that, um, can you give an overview of why heat training is an interesting area to explore for endurance athletes? Yeah. So, firstly, my impression is that uh, it seems like more and more important competitions are performed in a kind of warm or hot climate. So, so, uh, so, so, so for acclimatization purpose to get used to the heat um, when you are competing, that's that's one uh, pretty obvious aspect um, and, and then we have our, um, our findings indicating that uh, heat training also can increase hemoglobin mass um, which uh, yeah, yeah in theory is a advantage for endurance performance um, and and this effect on hemoglobin mass seems to be kind of similar to, to what has been observed uh, after altitude training uh, and then it's uh, it's much uh, cheaper uh, to do the the heat training uh, and uh, especially during the, the past years with the covid pandemic and the restriction to to travel uh, you can do it all over the world actually where you are home this heat training um, so um, so yeah a simple and low cost alternative to uh, to uh, to altitude training. Mm. What kind of performance improvement have uh, have been observed in temperate conditions after a block of heat training? Yeah, so 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 the findings are more clear towards the the hemoglobin mass than actually performance. Mm. Um, but then we know that there are many factors affecting performance. So. Um, so uh, in some of our studies, we 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 see an increased power output at four millimol, um, and uh, and also some indications on um, on like uh, what we can call uh, time trials, like like uh, fifteen minute mean power output, uh, maximal power output, and uh, uh, yeah. So, so, so there are some indications that it in, improves performance, but but not all our studies and and the studies of others. Uh, so, all are not showing a um, performance improvement, which is probably similar to altitude, right? Because not not all of altitude studies show that, and even anecdotally, not everybody experiences improvements after going to altitude. But also, some people say that. 
or and what you see with a lot of the best athletes is that they have gone to altitude many times a year for many many years and then it it's kind of almost like it seems like there could be an accumulative accumulative effect of of mul- multiple exposures to to altitude and uh and then over time you also get that uh performance improvement because that's one of the things about that's interesting about altitude is that and that you have in one of your papers you discussed that that the effects are pretty short-lived and hard to maintain so you have to really time it correctly but then at the same time there are so many case studies of athletes that they go to altitude for four weeks in the winter and then four weeks in the spring and then four weeks before a major competition in the late summer so are those winter and spring exposures to altitude completely wasted Uh, i don't know it's hard to study but you would guess that since a lot of the best athletes are doing it, probably not completely wasted, and there might be some cumulative effect, and maybe the same could be said for heat training if you if you repeat blocks of it, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't think the science is is uh, clear on the repeated effects of altitude camps, um, but but nevertheless, they 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 are a way on a training camp focusing solely on training and recovery for like uh, three three four weeks uh so so um so, so they anyway get a good uh high training quality and usually they that's a good preparation for if you're talking about cyclists or for, for the for the spring classics um uh, and then they they go again uh, at altitude to to have a new good training period and maybe re reboost the the hemoglobin mass uh, and performance before the kind of summer races. Um, so uh, um, so at, at least those benefits are there f- for for sure. But but um, accumulating hemoglobin mass. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, no, it was it was it was, it was it was very speculative, of, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, but 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 regarding if we could uh, um, have have the same uh, reasoning for for heat training, um, uh, well, I I don't know. We have I'm working closely with some some cyclists that have have used heat training for a long period of time and we uh, we have published some some cases on this and it seems like there are potential to accumulate and also maintain uh, increased hemoglobin mass with this uh, heat training uh, over a prolonged period uh, and and also uh, because uh, the the initial protocol is for five weeks five heat sessions per week and then we if we reduce it to three sessions per week for three week period we see that that maintains um, the hemoglobin mass and after three weeks after altitude stay uh, the great majority of studies shows that you are back to to base level uh, in terms of hemoglobin mass so 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 like yeah there are some possibilities at least yeah um one thing we should say perhaps just to make sure everybody is clear on that this hemoglobin uh, mass is one factor that uh affects vo2 max so so in theory if you improve your hemoglobin mass increase it then you could improve your vo2 max although in some studies you have seen an increase in 
hemoglobin mass without seeing an in- improvement in VO2 max. So it's not always a clear-cut uh, relationship there, but at least it gives the potential for improving VO2 max. Um, but yeah, let's let's continue with the protocols So uh, in more detail. So you said five weeks, five sessions per week. And, and what are those sessions like? Yeah. So, so in terms of power output, I think, I think this session should be as easy as possible, uh, but then uh, get achieve the, the correct uh, heat stimuli. So, um, so, so uh, like they are, um, they are cycling for 50 minutes and, and with a power output, more or less half of that uh, four millimole power uh, and maybe less as, as well. So 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 low power, um, and then the, we have uh, we have this heat suit. Um, the way we organized it was that they had a, a wool layer on both the upper and lower body, and and a wool uh, hat, and then we had a like a rain jacket uh, and, and trouser on, and then a down jacket outside this uh, rain uh, uh, jacket uh, so in terms of keeping uh, increasing the heat within the body uh, yeah, yeah that's a, that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of clothes i've actually i found a, a photo on google of what it looks like and <laughs> there's they are very well dressed for for an indoor training session so you have the you described the heat suit and uh, i guess you're us- you're not using any any fans when when doing these sessions and but the temperature in the room is is it a nor- normal room temperature or do you try to heat it up yeah the way we did it was it was a uh, just a normal temperature of the room which was yeah 17 18 uh, degrees and there is a big difference uh, uh, if if the the room temperature increases by only 2 3 degrees you will notice that a lot so mm. so then you either need to to reduce the the clothes or reduce the power output. Yeah. So what what is the what are the instructions in terms of how to execute it? Are they executed based on power or based on RPE, heart rate, or even core temperature? Yeah, a, a, a combination. I would say uh, the main. Uh, the main measurement that we care about is is the the, the rectal temperature that we want to to be uh, at 38.5 uh, degrees so um, so 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 that's the main the main measurement so so if um, and we are just measuring that immediately after the session so uh, for the first time it's a bit uh, trial and an error so so um, and, and usually people are going too high in the first session ending up uh, around 39 and that's not a very good experience um so 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 then they need to uh, either reduce the power output or the the amount of clouds Uh, yeah and also we want a bit dehydration during that session Um, we we think that's important but we don't know Um, so 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 they are advised to drink uh, like half a liter of water during the session and then they will typically lose uh, from um, 
or, or the body weight will be like uh, from one to two kilo lighter after the session. So, so, so they are a bit dehydrated, but of course this depends on the body size of the person. Uh, so, um, and, and then it's uh, very important to, to rehydrate well after, uh, uh, after the session. Mm. Um, and what would you say, well, actually this maybe gets into one of the, the later questions already, but do you think that the evidence is strong enough that is this something you recommend when consulting with athletes and coaches? Uh, and, and if you do, and they don't have access to actually measuring the rectal temperature, how do you recommend that they execute it in an applied setting? Yeah, well, to measure the rectal temperature is quite easy just to have a, the the normal device for it uh, and just check after uh, immediately okay. after the yeah. session yeah okay. uh, so so uh, so so i would recommend to use that actually uh, and and um, yeah so whether i would recommend or not it depends uh, some athletes think these heat sessions are horrible uh, and I really struggling to do it, and I don't want to do it. And th- in that case, I would not recommend it um, if they are using a lot of energy on these sessions. Uh, and so, but all I think we have now like five studies showing an improved hemoglobin mass, uh, and probably our way of measuring hemoglobin mass is more accurate than our way of measuring performance. So it's probably easier uh, and, and less noise in, in the hemoglobin mass measurements compared to the performance measurements. Um, but still, uh, there is not... Uh, there, there, you, I, th- I think you should have optimized your training, your training quality and your organized organization of your training um, because before you start with this heat training, the improvement, possibilities are not that big but they are there so so if you are really at your limits then it could make a difference but if you are if you are, if you have a long way to go with with your training and your training quality uh, and stuff like that i would prioritize that yeah, yeah. No, uh, that makes sense but what what if your your goal race is a really hot race like let's say you're going to the ironman world championships in kona would that would your recommendation change then and it would be a more uh, important uh consideration yeah for sure then it's uh, it's no issues if you're going to compete in a hot climate and you are not used to that that will save you a lot of uh, uh, power <laughs> so yeah. uh, or gives you a lot of power yeah so yeah. so so if so for sure no doubt about that yeah. and then that but then it would be like uh, say that 10 days uh, heat training before uh, the main race Okay, so you wouldn't do, yeah, you, you wouldn't go all the way to, to five. I guess, so, so I guess the mechanisms you're looking for are different. It's more about plasma volume and even just the sense, the thermal sensation rather than focusing on hemoglobin mass. And you can get those other adaptations more quickly. Is that the reason for only? Yeah, minutes? yeah. And the sweat rate and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Those quick, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, 
it's interesting though that you say that, that some athletes find find the sessions horrible because you have in uh, well again I'll link to some of the papers but at least one of them that I have in front of me the the RPE that the athletes rated these sessions at wasn't super high also the heart rate wasn't super high of course it's a bit elevated but it's um it didn't just from reading the table with how the athletes the the data from the sessions it didn't seem so hard but is it just the sensation the thermal sensation for some athletes is just completely out of alignment with for example heart rate or how how does it work yeah 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 it is uh and 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 also um it's i i got the impression that also it's the the logistics demand around it because you then have your afternoon heat session and and everything gets entirely wet and you need to 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 wash your clothes and you need to to dry up the floor and you need to do all this extra stuff in addition mm. to your normal training routines and doing that five times a week uh, for some people that's uh, it's not so funny uh, <laughs> but but, yeah. but but then we have other people who who really see see the and feel the benefit of it and and who uh, I have one one who I've almost done discontinuously for two years now. <laughs> so, so, so he is really addicted to it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and can, can you do that when, when you do that kind the five sessions a week, 50 minutes, is the rest of your training, can it be normal? Can you maintain your normal volume and normal intensity or do you decrease any of that? Yeah, more or less normal, but uh, at least the first week, when you are starting with heat trainings as sessions, I, I recommend to take down the overall volume um, and maybe also intensity, just to make that an an easy training week. Because um, the first, typically, the first two, three, four sessions feels more heavy than the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I, th- I think we should mention because we didn't really mention it properly, at least that in these heat suit studies that you've done, you've also had. Um, a heat chamber group so you have compared them and found that the heat suit was as effective or was it even more effective in some variables but uh it's yeah that, that, that's a really important finding i think yeah yeah so so uh, so it seems like you can achieve the same uh, as a heat chamber uh by the, doing this uh, heat suit training uh, and of course it's much easier uh, to to do a heat to put on a heat suit or to, to overdress <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah uh even though definitely can't mean that group that would think that uh the cleaning up after a session would be horrible and <laughs> probably <laughs> make me make me not be so inclined to do uh to, to do that type of protocol unless i felt like i really needed it um what about passive heat training it's not or so saunas and things like that how how does this these kinds of active protocols compare with passive protocols we we haven't compared them directly ourselves, but in general, my impression of the literature is that it's uh, it's slightly better to to have uh, uh, active uh, to be active during the heat uh, stimuli. Uh, so um, yeah, in, in in one of our studies, we for a ten day study just uh, for the the heat acclimatization uh, stuff. We, we had one group performing this heat training that we are discussing now, and then they added 
a passive uh, heat bath in addition uh, on the daily basis. So it was two two daily heat uh, stimulus, um, and then we add and and we didn't see any extra benefits of adding a extra passive uh, heat bath. But uh, yeah, but that's that's a, a bit of a different setting that what you asked for. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, in general, I would recommend being active uh, during the, the heat stimulus. Mm. Would would the passive uh, is it, is there anybody that would for whom that would be a good option? And is it more for uh, let's say performance in hot conditions, or or is that also when it's been researched? Is it has it also been researched in terms of improving performance in temperate conditions and potentially improving hemoglobin mass and so on? Yeah, I'm. I'm I, at the moment, I, I'm not aware of studies investigating this on hemoglobin mass, but maybe you know of some. Uh, no, no, I don't. No, no. No. Um, but yeah, I, I think my my feeling is the same as yours. But I'm not as um, familiar with with it, of course. But that's kind of the the feeling that I have. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of heat training. Is there anything well let's say one one more question then if you are somebody that um you have a relatively optimized training process and you're looking for that final percent maybe and and you're thinking about giving heat training a go and it's not something that you you've tried a session and it's not terrible for you how would you then implement it in terms of periodization yeah so so i i would <coughs> i would start with it in a period where you don't have any important races, uh, pre- preferably during the prepar- preparatory period, uh, and and then um, I would give it a five-week period with five sessions per week, uh, and I, and and from there on, and I, uh, I would recommend to be finished with this five-week period before the important races, so you can go over in a maintenance phase uh, of the heat stimuli. And, and prioritize uh, the, what you can call performance peaking approaches uh, or what you what prepare you best for the, for the important races during the, the final weeks. Uh, and typically we recommend to do these heat sessions in the afternoon as a second session. Uh, uh, yeah, you could do it before uh, ordinary session, but and or you can do it directly after an ordinary session, but then um, it, if you're doing it after, it feels more heavier compared to to uh, to have a break, some hours in between. Uh, and before, it's uh, it will of course uh, fatigue you for 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 that uh, final part of that or main part of the session. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else about heat training that we should mention? No, I, th- I think you should be aware of that it, from my point of view, I don't think it's like the hotter, the better effect. Uh, it's uh, many athletes uh, thinks that, okay, if heat stimuli is good, then I would be as uh, hot as possible to get the rectal temperature as high as possible. Um, I don't think we have evidence for say that. And in, in addition, that could be potential dangerous. So. So, so avoid being too too overheated. Yeah, 
One question on that, actually, uh, with the uh, rectal temperature measurement is, of course, you um, you you're I'm I'm sure you're aware about the core body temperature sensor. Is that something that you have? I know you haven't used it in the studies, but have you used it uh, in the field, or do you have any experience with it? Yeah, and that could be a good uh, alternative for sure. Uh, what what we have used is that we have we have in the beginning compared it with the rectal temperature, so we know the ratio. Uh, uh, mm. Probably there are some individual differences in in. Uh, in in how the heat is uh, transmitted uh, to to the sensor, um, so so it's if it's in, if it's important to be precise, uh, I would recommend to compare uh, the sensor measurements with uh, with uh, rectal measurements in the beginning yeah. to to know the ratio there more or less. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Um, all right. Well. Um, since we have a, a bit of time still, so I'm, I'm just going to ask you about the concurrent training. If you can give an overview of uh, the state of evidence currently with concurrent training and your practical recommendations for how to implement concurrent training for endurance athletes. Yeah, so it depends on the sport. Uh, and of course, the athlete and the coach must think this is a good idea. Otherwise, you can just skip it. But, but if they think it's a good idea and they want to do it the proper way, then, um, like for, for, um, for a runner, if you are thinking running, it seems like it doesn't matter if you, if you are doing load, uh, high effort or high intensity, um, exercises like the, the plyometric or what we can call explosive strength training seems to give the same benefits as um, heavy strength training, traditional heavy strength training with like uh, yeah, sorry, five to ten uh, repetition maximum. Uh, so so in, in, in run, for runners, it seems like you can, uh, you can do the type of, of, of those two, you, you can do the choice you prefer. In, and for cyclists, it, it still seems to be a advantage of heavy strength training and uh, doing heavy performing heavy lifts in terms of performance benefits um, in running it seems like uh, the mechanisms is going by improving the running economy and, and thereby improving performance uh, and for cycling it, it's it's um, it's actually not that clear evidence for for improving uh, work economy, but it, it depends on how you are measuring it. And in our lab, we, we have some protocols where we are measuring cycling economy both in the fresh and the more fatigued state. And it seems more clear in the in the more fatigued state. Um, and but in in performance wise, in different time trials and stuff like that, it seems like also for cycling to be to be a good evidence for that uh, heavy strength training can improve um, cycling performance yeah um and how how often and for uh, and for how long would you uh would you do strength training to to get these effects i would recommend a minimum of eight weeks uh but preferably longer uh, and then my standard recommendation is is two sessions per week um and within those sessions, you would have 
three to four exercises or how many exercises yeah yeah three to four on the on the main uh, muscle groups yeah yeah Mm. um and and with the heavy strength for cycling uh you said five to ten repetition maximum so that's actually a bit higher than um than i thought you would say uh so is that something that has changed a little bit or um what is the reason for that no it we have used that uh that range more or less in all our studies uh, and and the reason is that actually that um, probably i think there are some evidence that the do, doing high reps uh, in order to actually get some muscle growth is beneficial uh, also when we express uh, power per kilo body mass um so so typically what we do is in the beginning or in the preparatory period that's when we have the largest repetition numbers um and and also a slight change from session to session within the week so say for the first three four weeks you have eight reps one day and 10 reps the other day and then you do that for four weeks and then you can reduce it slightly so for the next four weeks you have like five and eight or five or seven and then for the for the the last three four weeks period you you reduce it a little more and then thereafter you can go over in like a maintenance phase with like one session per week or one session per 10th day or something like that yeah and would you do two or three sets of each exercise yeah typically three sets Mm. Mm -hmm. and uh how how close to maximum should you uh should you lift um pretty close when we're talking heavy strength so like uh two three reps in reserve maybe four but yeah but, but pretty heavy right and and it also depends if it's a endurance athlete with no experience in strength training at all then i just say no reps in reserve because they have so much more inside them than they think so if you say no reserves in no reserves then maybe there actually will be two three in reserve yeah uh, yeah that's that's that, that, that's a good point but I, I guess one thing that i'm thinking uh is that it also depends a little bit if they have no experience then you want to be careful with the injury risk and uh so that's another factor to to consider yeah yeah uh, of course you, you you need to ensure that the lifting technique is correct but as long as that is correct i'm not that afraid of, of uh, loading them yeah yeah uh, that's that's fair um yeah was there anything other on uh concurrent training that i wanted to ask um yeah would rest between between sets how long would that be yeah Yeah, typically two minutes Uh, yeah but um yeah i I don't i I think there is a big range of what you can do and it really doesn't matter that much (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, one one other question that, that i was thinking of uh, unilateral versus bilateral or a mix of both yeah so so in in most sports we 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 are using one limb at the time um so in terms of specificity and and also also there are studies indicating that if you are lifting with only one leg for instance you are able and we multiply that with two we are able to lift more load than if you use both legs so 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 there are some 
theory at least why it could be beneficial to to use uh, yeah one leg at a time uh, during the strength training uh, and also if you are thinking like uh, squats uh, one leg squats and stuff like that you also the advantage is that you have less load uh, on your body so you maybe you can you can argue that you are reducing the risk of injury a little bit at least if you get uh, if you're losing your balance and you are going to fall uh, yeah so 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 it's okay to have a mix but i, I would uh, recommend to have at least some exercises with with one limb at a time yeah because i think that most of the m- most of the literature is still with mostly bilateral so classic squats and deadlifts and things so um that is is that correct a correct assessment of it yeah 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 i think so we have we have usually used one leg leg press and and also we used uh, for the squat we i would like to recommend to do it in a smith machine and then it's very easy to do it with one leg at a time yeah um yeah so so but the, but yeah there are many there are many studies also using yeah both legs at the same time mm. Yeah, but okay. but for running it's e- it's easy to to be very specific at least in the explosive um, or jump explosive jump exercises which can imitate the the running stride very precisely. Yeah. So f- final question on on strength training then uh, off the top of your head uh, if you're consulting with a triathlete but we're focusing on the or a duathlete we're focusing on the bike bike and the run here uh, four or five exercises that they should have in their repertoire which ones would you choose Yeah so I would have the one leg leg press and I would have uh, and I would have uh, uh, one leg squats uh, like lunges or something uh, preferably actually in uh, in a smith machine so you can really load the 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 thigh and the glutes uh, and then maybe maybe like uh, toe raises um, uh, and and for the last one it could actually be uh, it depends. Maybe you should do some um, some explosive jumps uh, and imitating the, the running pattern with uh, uh, like what you can call uh, uh, yeah one foot at a time and, and try to to come as far uh, uh, that will be like uh, the horizontal uh, jumps mm. uh, come as far as possible in like uh, if you're doing it uh, every second leg then it will be five five jumps on each leg for instance something like that so that could be like four four exercises yeah sounds good um and uh general question if you could give three pieces of advice to amateur athletes uh that are listening to this interview what would that be advice about anything not just these topics it could, uh, or it doesn't have to be these topics that we have discussed today okay so so yeah so number one choose training sessions that are sustainable and as enjoyable as possible um, and then the second could be to to try to have a purpose for your training sessions and design the sessions according to your purpose um, and then Try to challenge your training habits because usually we, we are we are falling into these patterns that we just repeat and repeat and repeat. So, so try to cha- challenge your 
training habits and make some changes every third or fourth month. Yeah, that final piece is very, I think it's a very good thing. The, the two others, of course, are also very, very good, but they have been said a lot of times in, in different <laughs> ways. But the third one, I think, yeah, it's not something that we always think about. But yeah, I, I like that. It's a very good piece of advice. And uh, then the rapid fire questions. Uh, what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports? Yeah, I will be very boring. That there and just say PubMed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not the first person to do that uh, what what's an important habit that you have benefited from athletically professionally or personally yeah well i don't know but but maybe focusing on the possibilities that occur when things are not going as planned because it usually is not going as planned so that's mm -hmm. right to, to look on possibilities that that gives you yeah and uh, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you well, my mentors who, who kickstarted my way into exercise physiology and, and then now my, my wife, uh, Guru. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Bent. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. And uh, where can listeners follow you? I know you have a lot of your research on ResearchGate, but I don't think you're on Twitter or anything like that. So is ResearchGate the best place? Yeah, correct. I'm not so good on social media. So ResearchGate is perfect. It's good for you. Sometimes I take a few weeks off Twitter and I notice my productivity really goes up. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I should do it more often. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again. It was great to chat to you. Hope to do it again another time. Thanks for having me. Cheers. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and I will have uh, plenty of links there to many of the papers on the topics that we discussed here. So primarily interval training and heat training, but also I will add a, a relatively recent systematic review on concurrent training in there that you can uh, check out. Next Monday, I interview Matt Pendula, who is a strength training expert for running and triathlon performance, who has worked with athletes like Ben Knut and Gwen Jorgensen. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your goals, consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or training plan. We have options for athletes of different levels, different budgets, and no matter the size of your goals. A few points that I want to mention that uh, help reduce the barrier to get started is that we have no minimum commitment term nor startup fees for coaching. And for training plans, we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee for plans purchased on our website and an exchange guarantee so you can exchange your plan for another plan if you purchase through Training Peaks. We also have consultation and customized plan options that you can check out. Find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and get a specific and effective race strategy and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And thank you to Form that you can find on forswim.com forward slash TTS. Improve your swim training with real-time metrics like pace, stroke rate and heart rate and advanced post-swim analysis. Use the code TTS15 to get 15% off the Form Smart Swim Goggles. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.